Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Aaron M., Jared W., Gordon S., and Brent S. Mr. Stephen Michael is on the discussions program today. Mr. Michael is the Managing Director and CEO of Vimy Resources, an Australian-focused uranium project developer and exploration company that is advancing the construction-ready Mulga Rock uranium project in Western Australia, as well as exploration grounds in the Alligator River region, Northern Territory. Vimy Resources is currently subject to a business combination with Deep Yellow Limited. The company is listed on the Australian Security Exchange under the symbol VMY and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol VMRSF. Mr. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Andrew, and thanks for having me on the uh, the show today. Well, Stephen, first time on the podcast, uh, although we've certainly got to know each other uh, since you've joined the VIMI team, but help the audience out here with talking a bit about your background in the natural resource sector and, of course, the uranium sector. Sure. No, thank you very much. So my background in natural resources uh, has been around 25 years. I started my career uh, in the mid-90s with Macquarie Bank, or the precursor to Macquarie Bank in Perth, uh, a broking firm here, as a mining analyst. So I covered a whole range of junior mining companies. I then moved into the investment banking phase of my career. Uh, again, in natural resources, I worked for Rothschild, in their global investment banking team and uh, back to Macquarie doing a similar role there. And last of all, ended up with Royal Bank of Canada on their, their global mining equities desk. So that was around about a 15 year career in investment banking and mining equities. I then made the interesting move to go run a junior exploration company out of, out of Perth and spent uh, roughly a decade doing that. We had assets in Australia and, and Africa. And then recently I've joined Vimy Resources as the managing director. Uh, I started my role here as interim CEO when uh, Mike Young, who most people on your podcast will be aware of, uh, Mike Young moved off the Vimy board late last year and I came in as the interim CEO and then was uh, confirmed as the ongoing managing director earlier this year. So I've joined the company at a very interesting time, as uh, as you said in your introduction, we're looking to develop the Mulga Rock project in Western Australia, uh, as well as uh, continuing the exploration at Alligator River in the Northern Territory. So a very interesting time to be involved in Vimy, and also the uranium sector obviously has been going for quite a run in a, you know, sort of a long melees and we've come out of it uh, early last year. So it's a really exciting time to be to be running what will be one of Australia's uh, next producing uranium mining companies. Stephen, I appreciate that and quite a diverse background, multi-jurisdiction. Very good to have your experience uh, come along here. How do you view the uranium market where we are today based on recent events since the start of the year specifically, beginning with the Kazakhs and then over to Russia-Ukraine war, and where we are now with broad market jitters. How do you view this market here? What are your thoughts on these events that have happened so far in the first five months of this year? 
it's been quite a challenge for me to, to come up to speed with the uranium market in a, in a short period of time. As everyone would know, the uranium market, it's, it's a very unique market uh, and, uh, and is not well understood for people out, outside of the sector. And, and so for me, it's been a very rapid education. Uh, thankfully, I've got, a, I've got a very experienced team within Vimy, uh, including Scott Hyman, who's our VP of Marketing and Sales, uh, based in, in the US, who's a, a lifer, a uranium lifer. So, you know, that's been really fortunate. From my perspective, looking to build a new uranium project, the things which I've seen in this in the sector and probably which is most relevant for Vimy is you've had obviously these these major shocks to the uranium sector, uh, which have seen the price uh, increase quite steadily over the last nine, even 12 months, culminating recently in you know, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and, and the impacts, both in terms of supply coming out of out of Russia and even supply out of Kazakhstan and, and some issues with shipping out of St. Petersburg into places like the US. You've then seen the response from uh, various members of Congress in the US looking to reduce the reliance on nuclear fuel coming out of Russia. And uh, the most recent thing I saw was, was a, uh, a bill that's on the, on the floor in the US, which is looking to steadily ramp down uh, supply of nuclear fuels out, out of Russia to be um, down to, to zero by 2026. From a global perspective, it really will mean that you know product is changing location where where supply is coming from. It's I don't think that has a huge impact in terms of uh, overall supply demand balances. I mean that's a that's a separate discussion. But what it does mean is that there has been an increasing focus, especially in the last few months, on supply into places like North America that that aren't from Eastern Europe, um, you know, Russia particularly, but also there's a little bit of a uh, a taint on the rest of Eastern Europe. Uh, supply as well. From a Vimy point of view, that's been really quite positive because we've seen quite a significant increase in, in interest from utilities in, in North America to understand the Mulga Rock project, our timeframes to development and, and what we could do from an off-taken marketing and contract perspective. So, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, we're running out there anytime soon and put contracts in place but we have, I think, some greater level of discussion than we have been able to achieve anywhere in the last few years, partly because we are getting closer to pushing the button and uh, getting to fin final investment decision on, on Mulga Rock. But I think in the context of a Western world and you know, specifically Australian new mine development, we're seen as, um, you know, there's, there's us and there's Honeymoon are really the two that are being seen as the projects that can uh, into the supply um, you know, sort of regime in the next few years, and that's been really positive. Certainly, I think you know the U.S., Australia, and Namibia, to a lesser extent Canada, uh, if you're the incumbent producer in Canada. But really, U.S., Australia, and Namibia have a new view. And I think with what's happened with Russia, Ukraine, all of a sudden, what was very positive for those jurisdictions, all of a sudden becomes even more positive. And also the fact that it's an in-term source of material that has a relatively reasonable time frame attached to it. With respect to the U.S., certainly smaller quantity when you compare it to Australia capabilities and also Namibia capabilities, but certainly in a more unique position than what was even, you know, six, eight months ago. So certainly I agree with you. I think that there is a focus that will certainly be here. It'll be sticky and it'll be very hard in quite a long period of time to repair uh, some of the things that have happened here in the first half of the year. 
I do want to talk about the merger with Deep Yellow in a moment, Stephen, but any updates first on the site works specifically at Mogul Rock, and then also anything you can give us with respect to exploration work at Alligator River? Mulga Rock, um, if I just sort of maybe give your give your audience a little bit of uh, the recent background and history on that, I think it's quite important. Uh, six, five years ago, um, the last Liberal government in Western Australia uh, greenlit the development of four uranium projects in Western Australia. And those are the first, potentially the first four uranium projects to be developed in Western Australia. One of the conditions on each of those projects uh, was that you had to substantially commence uh, the development within five years. Now for us the five-year window was the 16th of December 2021. On the 16th of December we received notification from the Department of Water Environment Resources that we had achieved substantial commencement. That was a pretty big moment for us because there was some uh, considerable headwinds uh, for us to achieve substantial commencement. We had to, we had to receive a lot of permits and approvals to enable us to commence the development activities to start mining down, not the ore body itself, but mining down towards the ore body. And over the second half of last year, the back half of last year, we spent about $8 million in a very short period of time on that substantial commencement works uh, and, and achieve that milestone. The other three projects, uh, two owned by Cameco and one owned by Toro, uh, unfortunately did not meet substantial commencement within their five-year window and they're going down different paths to try to uh, see what they can do to, to, I guess, enable those projects to be developed. But the great thing for Mulga Rock is we have now cleared that hurdle and we are now firmly on the path to moving towards development. In terms of early works, we have now completed pre-stripping of the, the first pits. So we've got the Ambassador and the Princess pits, which will be our first our first pits that we'll be developing, and we've completed a substantial amount of development on, on both of those pits. We've also started to put in some uh, essential infrastructure. So we've, we've uh, completed about a third of the, uh, the pipe work required for um, water to be transported from the bore field, which is about 30 kilometres away from the process plant location. So we've completed around eight and a bit kilometres of, uh, of high density polyethylene pipe that's going to uh, that's going to be used to transport that water. Uh, we're in the final stage of awarding a contract to, to get the water bore driller on site uh, to do two things. One is to develop a, a few of the water water bores in the bore field at Kakarut North, but also uh, we're going to start an in-pit dewatering trial, which will commence um, in the next few months. Uh, we're also looking at communications infrastructure and upgrading the access road to site. So uh, we've we've slowed down activities on site, but there's still a lot of infrastructure going on on site at Mulga Rock so that we continue to develop that project. And anything that we do now will naturally just come off the development timeframe and also the, the, the capital development as well. So this is all works that are, that, um, are needed to develop the project. In terms of Alligator River, which is our project in the Northern Territory, uh, this is a really exciting project uh, at Alligator River in 2019, there was a maiden resource at Alligator River, which is 910,000 tonnes, so a very small deposit, but averaging 1.3% U308 for just under 26 million pounds of U308. So very high grade, uh, albeit small, uh, small footprint, but but you know 26 million pounds in that resource. 
Unfortunately, uh, for Alligator River Project from an exploration point of view, we uh, were hit with COVID. Uh, Alligator River sits in Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory, so a very uh, sensitive area for the Indigenous communities. And so we haven't been able to get back on site and, and continue our, our exploration work since 2019. We now have got the approval to get back on site and start start uh, drilling again. So we've had our, our geological team out on site uh, last week and this week uh, to, to re-establish the camp, to get vehicle service, downhole probes and, the, and those kind of uh, uh, exploration tools serviced and and, uh, and we should be back on site by, by the end of May with drilling starting in June. What we're planning there is a 19 hole, just over 7,000 metre diamond drilling program with the aim of uh, extensional drilling in and around the existing Angulali resource. So up dip, down dip um, and, and along strike. And then we have additional uh, structures that we have had uh, historically um, indicators of uranium mineralisation in parallel structures and we'll be testing those as well. So the aim for this drill program is to is to get the made get the overall resource at Angulali. Um, the aim is to get that up to over 50 million pounds, which is where we think is the minimum uh, we need to then then take this through to a feasibility study at that and hopefully at a similar grade, you know, the plus one percent grade that we've seen in the resource so far. So the drilling will start in June. The drill program itself will go for about four months, and we'll be getting results. Uh, continually as we go through that program. So that should be a really exciting uh, back half of this year with results coming out of uh, the Angulali drilling program. Very well, looking forward to seeing what those results are gonna be. And it appears certainly a pipeline is being established with respect to Alligator River and the projects there. Is there any other comments on the other properties there that you wanna mention for purposes of further follow-up uh, at a later time? In and around the, the Alligator River region, we do have one of the largest land holdings in Arnhem Land and that northern part of Australia. Our focus though so far really has been around the Angulali deposit, so that's where all of our drilling efforts are going, going to go into. So I think that's really the key for us. Uh, around Mulga Rock, the exploration there is actually focused on the discovery or the exploration for base metals. The Mulga Rock uranium resource um, contained within that resource envelope is actually a uh, polymetallic resource as well, containing copper, cobalt, nickel and zinc, which um, we believe comes from an underlying sedimentary uh, basin. And so we've pegged over 2000 square kilometres of exploration ground, which we believe runs north-south along the sedimentary basin. And we've just completed an aeromagnetic uh, survey uh, over that, over that ground holding and we're waiting on the, re the interpretive results to come back from that. So uh, depending on, on what we see on, on the, the MAG interp, uh, we'll be starting some exploration maybe later this year to start to look for the source of the base metals that we see at, at Mulga Rock. How about just the uh, capital structure overview? Can you go ahead and give us that, Stephen, with respect to shares outstanding, where you guys stand with cash and uh, anything else you'd like to mention on the capital structure? Sure. So in terms of shares, shares outstanding, we've got uh, around 1.1 billion uh, shares on issue, which um, for a lot of your North American audience, they probably fall off their chair. But in an Australian uh, junior mining context, you know, 1.1 billion shares uh, is not the end of the world. Uh, something definitely which uh, which the North American market um, struggles with. So it gives us a market capitalization today of around about about 200 
50 million Aussie dollars, so circa 200 million US. As at uh, our last quarterly report, which was the end of March, we had cash at bank of $26 million. Uh, that was after we, we completed a capital raising during the quarter of, of $17 million. Uh, unfortunately for us, uh, we launched the capital raising <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a Friday morning and uh, by nine o'clock that morning, uh, that's when the Russian forces uh, took over control of the Chernobyl site and there was a lot of concern. Sorry, it wasn't Chernobyl, it was the other nuclear reactor in the Ukraine. And there was a lot of concern uh, for, a, for a, about two or three days over what that might mean for the uh, nuclear industry. And so we did raise money at, at a very tough time, but we, um, we did manage to raise the $17 million that we were looking for. So we finished the quarter with 26 in the bank. Uh, and so we're in a very comfortable position to be able to do all of the early works that we, we want to do at Mulga Rock, as well as uh, the drilling at Alligator River as well. Well, give me just a moment, Stephen. I'm just getting off the floor. Appreciate the comments. You're absolutely correct. But I think I would just remind folks at the end of the day, it's, it's a psychology thing and it's market capture, market caps, irrespective of the share structures. I would have to suggest that the Australian markets uh, in this uranium market uh, so far there's been some pretty impressive performances, inclusive of VEMI. As you know, there's some other cap structures out there in Australia that are three to four more times what you guys are. And uh, astute investors would understand value proposition trumps share structure. But I appreciate you making the comment. And then also, of course, the uh, the timing with respect to the, uh, the conflict surrounding those facilities in, in Ukraine happening right around that cap raise. But luckily, you guys were under a halt. So everything worked out, uh, I'd say, pretty good. That's right. And, and on that cap raise, I would say that, uh, you know, we had very good support from our existing major shareholders, but importantly, uh, North American and international institutions also uh, came in and supported that, that capital raising at what at the time appeared to be a very difficult time in the uranium sector, very uncertain time. So, you know, we were very pleased with the outcome and uh, those investors, um, the majority of them are still significant on our, on our register. So very happy with the ongoing support. And as you say, notwithstanding, you know, capital structures around the world can be quite different. You know, when I joined Vimy in early September, uh, you know, we, we were just under 10 cents, I think about nine and a half cents a share. Um, we reached a high just recently before the recent um, pullback in the uranium spot price. We were trading at or around 30 cents. So, you know, 10 cents to 30 in the space of about nine months um, is not a bad outcome capital structure aside. Appreciate that. And of course, the substantial start back in December was a good piece. And I think the folks that were financing this understood the market and also understood that uh, some of the issues that were happening in Ukraine weren't necessarily the deciding factor at all. You know, a lot of folks saw through that pretty quickly. Well, let's move on here. Let's talk about the merger transaction and maybe we'll kick it off here. I'll just bring a question from the audience here. There was a lot of speculation with the first rounds of the merger talks didn't go through with Deep Yellow. Recently, there was some comments that perhaps the uh, the Deep Yellow team came in a little too strong with a lot of conviction. Maybe you can talk about what's different in this round of discussions and, of course, the agreement that occurred. And at the end of the day, what do you think Vimy gains most from this merger? Thanks for the question and uh, appreciate your, your audience participating in, in the questions as well. It's been sort of quite publicly uh, sort of announced through through the last sort of five, six months that we were approached late last year by by Deep Yellow um, to enter into a, a merger transaction. The terms of that merger, proposed merger transaction in November last year, weren't appealing to 
Vimian and, and its board, essentially there was um, the offer was a zero premium merger. There was a follow-up offer which was a small premium merger. But I think one of the key um, considerations for us, which is why we didn't entertain those discussions, was it was a very short fuse in terms of the offer. It was a 72-hour offer which didn't allow us any ability to undertake due diligence prior to accepting the, the merger terms. And as you'd be aware, once you sign on the dotted line, even if you then do complete due diligence and things aren't as you expected, it's very hard to, to change your position from there. So what we did was we um, said thanks, but no thanks. And uh, we started a strategic review process where we essentially opened a data room uh, on, on both on all of our assets and corporately as well. And uh, we spent the next few months um, with several groups going through the data room, looking at different parts of the business, looking at, at uh, Mulga Rock as a, a joint venture, sort of partnership opportunity, Alligator River. There were several people looking at Alligator River on, on different fronts, whether it be a, a spin out, you know, a separate IPO, a merger with someone else, et cetera. Uh, and then there was obviously Deep Yellow and, and others looking at the, the overall corporate level. Um, the great thing about having this process open and having time is that we were able to then conduct extensive due diligence on Deep Yellow. So Deep Yellow itself opened up a data room for us. Uh, we had independent technical experts come in and uh, run the rule over, over their assets. Uh, we had you know, legal and corporate advisors as well involved looking at Namibia, looking at the corporate entity and, and doing extensive due diligence on, on Deep Yellow. Coming out of that was a lot more confidence in us being able to sit down and negotiate an outcome which would be a good outcome for, for both companies and give us a much better understanding of the Tumas asset and the other assets in Namibia that Deep Yellow has. But probably just as importantly, and maybe even more importantly, we got to spend a lot of time with the management team of, of Deep Yellow. So not just John Borshoff and Jules Swaby, but also their, their whole technical team. And what we found was, um, you know, there was a really good simpatico between the two technical teams. You know, that we sat down on several occasions and effectively critiqued each other's other's projects, uh, and that can be um, revealing at times. But what it did do is it really showed us that, you know, their technical team has been there, done that. They they've built two projects in the past. They um, understand uranium projects very very well, and so you know, part of the the benefit of the merger is that is that we've got the ability to combine the two teams. Um, you know, Vimy is at the start of its development journey, so we've got quite a lean team. Uh, I was actually a, a bit um, surprised earlier this week, we had everyone in the office and I think we had um, a dozen people. So, you know, that's the extent of, of Vimy is, is about 12 people. Uh, when you're looking to build, build a uranium mine, you know, the owner's team for our projects is gonna be somewhere in the order of 30 to 40 people. Uh, and then you've got all, all the contractors and other staff that, that go with that and that will number into the hundreds um, uh, when, when we're in construction. So, you know, we see a really big advantage of the, of the merger um, being the acquisition of, of, a, of a really strong technical team. Uh, similarly, I, I think Deep Yellow sees the same thing um, from, from Vimy that what they're getting is a, a series of projects, but also a really, really astute team as well. You know, in the end, what we negotiated and, and agreed was an acquisition where Vimy ends up with 47% of the merged entity, Deep Yellow shareholders own 53%. Uh, it represented a, a significant 
premium to Vimy share price at the time, uh, in terms of a premium to, to a 15-day VWAP, it was around 33% premium to a 15-day VWAP, definitely justify that to our shareholders. But I think when you look at the merged entity going forward, I think the real value of the merger is that you will have a company with two near-term development assets in Mulga Rock and Tumas, geographically diversified, both in tier one uh, uranium mining jurisdictions, so Australia and, and Namibia, uh, combined annual production capacity of those two projects of about six and a half million pounds. So all of a sudden you leapfrog to being uh, potentially the biggest uh, uranium producer listed on the ASX. Uh, combined resources, mineral resources of just under 400 million pounds. So again, you become the biggest reference uh, uh, uranium company on the ASX. Uh, you then end up with a market capitalization circa you know, seven to 800 million Aussie dollars, which gives you then the balance sheet strength and flexibility to go and, and build these projects as, as you need to and, and raise the, the capital, whether it be through debt and or equity to build these projects. And I think that balance sheet strength and flexibility combined with, with a really skilled management team is what the market will see going forward, uh, as well as having the, the two lead assets but then each company has got their secondary assets. So we've got we've got Alligator River and Deep Yellow has got Omahola. So you know the combined entity will have this pipeline of opportunities as well as the two lead assets with a really good management team, balance sheet strength. You know, the ticks you know in a lot of boxes there. Fully agreed. I'm pleased to see this come together and I think the combined assets, uh, the jurisdictions the pipeline of projects uh, really provides a pretty powerful platform. And uh, as you said, the size, once you get to that size, you have a lot more flexibility and there's a lot more room to run here. So I do like it very much. And I think the teams will work really well together and I'm looking forward to seeing this get through the final hoops and to closing hopefully by uh, July, August. Stephen, what is your take on timing here? And just speak to the time frame, and then also speak to uh, what your plans would be. Um, I understand you're coming on to the combined company but uh, maybe talk about that. Sure. Um, in terms of timing, we are going through a process with the well, the independent expert and the independent technical expert are reviewing all the assets of both companies at the moment. Uh, we have stressed to them that this, this transaction is the largest um, transaction in the uranium space globally in the last decade, and that this independent expert report is going to be looked at quite heavily, scrutinised um, globally, and, and will, will essentially become the reference document for the uranium sector for a period of time. So we've told them to uh, take their time and do it properly. Uh, and, and the uranium sector, as we all know, is a very bespoke industry, and it's um, it's a little bit uh, unkind to ask an independent expert who's not had experience in the uranium sector to, to within two or three weeks become an expert and understand the market and, and the, the subtle nuances of, of the market. So we've um, we've given them time to, to do that. Uh, they've also been working um, very closely with Trade Tech to to get an understanding of, of of the market and the market going forward. So that's really positive. And uh, you know I thank Trade Tech for being. Um, open with the independent expert on that. The expectation is that we will have the scheme booklet um, to the market early early June. So I'd say within about uh, you know three to four weeks from now. And then the scheme meeting will be early July and with the scheme then concluded by mid to late July. 
And in terms of you know what it means for for me and, and I guess the, the the Vimy management team and and the board, everyone in terms of the Vimy employees will will merge straight into the deep the deep yellow team. Uh, as I said, we are, we don't have a huge team, but we do have some very good skills here, which will integrate very nicely. Uh, fortuitously, Deep Yellow were always planning to move to new offices in in around July, so we'll actually be moving both companies together at the same time into the new offices. So I think that'll actually help the merger integration very well. Uh, in terms of um, the board of of Vimy, Wayne Bramwell, uh, one of Vimy's non-executive directors, will be joining the board of, of the merged company as a non-executive director. And uh, myself, I'll be moving across as an executive director. Uh, John and I are, are yet to sit down and actually have the, uh, the formal discussion about exactly what my role is going to be. But I assume that given my background, um, specifically in M&A and corporate finance, uh, you know, Deep Yellow has always talked about a dual pillar approach of organic and inorganic growth. Um, I see myself very much fitting into the inorganic growth pipeline and part of the uh, the combined business going forward. I like it. Good forward to seeing what comes out of that, Stephen. Let's wrap it up here. I know you got better things to do. For potential investors who are listening in, Vimy Resources stands at about 255 million Australian dollars. What would you say to those who are listening about the promises of this company and the prospects of the pro forma Vimy Deep Yellow proposition? I think when you look around the uranium sector, I'm not just talking about the Australian uranium sector, but globally, it's hard to see a company, I'm talking now about the merge company, it's hard to see a company globally that will have the ability to say that they've got two lead assets capable of being developed in the next two to three years in tier one uh, uranium friendly mining jurisdictions and with an experienced management team and board the like which we're putting together in the, in the merge company. So you know I, th I think the new company uh, which will still be called Deep Yellow uh, will set itself apart from from the pack and you know with what we're seeing unfolding in terms of Russia and uh, you know sort of I guess the Western world looking to move away from reliance on nuclear fuel coming out of Russia I think the ability to now talk to utilities um, on the basis that you've got this company with multiple assets, a pipeline behind it, a, a tier one management team and a balance sheet that gives you the capability to develop these projects. Um, you know, I think we do set ourselves apart from, from the rest of the world in terms of the, the up and coming uranium producers globally. And I think that's really gonna um, mean that from an investor point of view, that this merged company, like I said, post-merger, it might have a market capitalization around 700 million Australian dollars. Um, you know, this thing will go to a billion dollars and then to $2 billion very quickly as it becomes the, the significant new player in the global uranium space. And, you know, I, I sort of, um, we, we've all heard the, uh, the, the John Borshoff story about what's happened, you know, how we developed Paladin and what, what happened there. And, uh, but I do see this as, you know, the potential to do something very similar, but I would probably say with a, you know, a better suite of assets, given that you've got Mulga Rock, uh, which is which is in, in Western Australia, you know, obviously Western Australia doesn't have a history of uranium mining, but we've we've achieved all the approvals we need to now get this project off, off the ground. So I think that's the positive there. And you've then got things like Alligator River, you know, 1.3% uranium. It's a really, really good secondary asset or pipeline asset to come through through the, uh, the the pipeline here as well. So yeah, I'm really excited about what's what's on the horizon for us. 
and you know it'd be great to be working with with an experienced team like uh, John Borshoff, Jules Swaby and, and others who have been there done it before and I'm sure I will be uh, getting educated very very quickly in the world of uranium with people like that mentoring me. Very compelling and the best way for investors to contact the company. You can contact us either through our, our website, um, we've got a, a contact um, details there, um, info at vimiresources.com.au is the email address for the general company. Um, I'm happy for people to contact me directly. My email is smichael, S-M-I-C-H-A-E-L at vimiresources.com.au. Stephen, thank you for taking the time to update us and give us the outlook here. Looking forward to seeing Vimy advance forward. Appreciate your time. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks for your time today and thanks to your listeners.